when I decided to take the career break, it was like nothing else made sense. It was like, oh, yeah, I am at the end of a road. There is nowhere else to go but like jump off the cliff. But at other points when I was making a career change, it didn't feel like that. It felt like I was making kind of calculated choices. Welcome back to Not For Everyone. We're an existential commentary podcast hosted by one hater and one lover. I'm the lover. Caroline's the hater. How you doing, bitch? Girl, (laughs) I'm doing so good. How are you? I'm good. I feel like my voice was really sultry there because last night I lost it at karaoke. And I hope that people can appreciate that that's the reason they're getting this right now. Yeah. What an excellent way to lose it, too. It used to be my whole existence because I was on this karaoke league when I was when I lived in DC. It was a competitive karaoke league. Shut the fuck up. It was up. teams That's that amazing. would meet every week and compete against each other. It was the time of my life and <laughs> I did make it to the finals citywide. Like city-wide. hundreds of people. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> let it let it be known, Jess has a very good singing voice. Did you lead choir in high school? I was like one of the go-to like I don't know if there was a lead but I I did a lot of like cantering at school yeah liturgies and like yeah I was very active in in all the music stuff I was quite envious of that talent and spotlight it was beautiful it was so Oh my good. gosh thank you for saying that I was envious of your acting talent cuz I feel like we would do musicals and it's like maybe each of us had one of the that's why we work well together each of us had one of the qualities that was needed to be like the lead in the musical (laughs) yeah but together we make one whole performer yeah yeah exactly I couldn't act but I could sing and vice versa maybe um (laughs) can you dance I'm like not very good at dancing either I'm okay at dancing but um I find it quite difficult to do sequential tasks which choreography usually involves. So okay. okay. That was, that was yes. usually my downfall. Maybe that means I can't dance. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I can dance like, yeah, just casually at a bar or something. Like I have rhythm. I can like do a two-step. No, that's professional dancing. Yeah. But that's professional. But choreography, <laughs> you're right. It's like as soon as somebody tries to choreograph me, I have no control over my limbs and I yeah. just am a robot immediately. I've never stood before. Yeah, exactly. Ne- never once. Um, I'm excited for today. Let's take the leap. Oh, girl. Love that you said that because it's all about leaps. You thematic bitch. It's all about taking leaps. You (gasps) fucking bitch. Yes, yes. I had a feeling I was queuing you up for the right thing. I feel the fire. So today we've decided... Uh, as in response to several different listener DMs we've gotten to dive in a little bit to career life, professional life, um, jobs, had a lot of jobs. They weren't all careers. Uh, Jess and I have also, I think, embodied like different versions of the professional life arc that I think will cover a lot of things that people relate to. So I think it's going to be really fun to do it together. And I I was excited when we started recording because I just had a little professional work milestone while we were recording, which I just on my phone like two minutes ago hit 400k on YouTube. And it was just so nice to share it with another person because usually any of these milestones, like they just happen alone in silence. And 
it was so well timed to be recording this episode. I'm I'm just so excited to talk about this bullshit. I love that kind of like fate bullshit. I just I live for it. I mean, who knows if fate is real or not, but if there are moments that feel fated, just lean into it. We were meant to be together for that milestone. We were meant to be together. I don't know if fate is real, but drama is real and I can I can, <laughs> I can accelerate the drama for sure. 100%. I'm so curious, but maybe we'll get to this later. I'm so curious about like hitting those different milestones on YouTube and how slowly and then quickly they may have come for you. Mm, um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I find that fascinating. I think I've heard that around a lot of different kinds of professional traction that or or just working towards goals in general that it it's like, I can't remember what the saying is, but like, it feels like nothing happens for the longest time and then everything happens all at once. I'm butchering the saying, but... That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah, I found that to be true in a lot of areas. Not to say that, like, everything's happening for me and, like, it's great, but you know what I mean. That I do. We're just saying what our career paths have been and, like, the themes that have resonated for us and kind of powered us through and will keep powering us through because I think something I want to be clear about in this episode before we get into it is, like, we're not at the end, you know, like we're still very much like right. in the thick of building the careers that we this want. This better not be the end. <laughs> this better yeah. not be the end. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, I don't know, even the fact that we have this podcast, like there's so many places we want it to go. There's so many more things that each of us want to achieve individually, like, and it's going to be up and down and ebbs and flows as that continues. I feel like that's obvious. I feel like people know everything's a process, but I just fear talking in retrospect about my career up until this point and having it come across like I think that I've arrived and I don't and that's cool like I still can own where I've been and where I want to go you know yeah love that that's exactly how I was feeling um as always I have no answers but I have I think I have to offer like the takeaways that I've been forced to learn from lots of failures, lots of experimentation, lots of fear, lots of risks. Um, There's a lot more ahead of me and I haven't figured anything out. But um, I feel like even the, the moves that I was empowered to make so far in my professional life were a lot due to uh, more experienced people who shared their takeaways with me. Mm. My sister, my best friends. Um, you know, mentors, people I looked up to, it was all about them like sharing their reflections and their insights. And that has been one of the most valuable things to me. So in in my head, I have some to share. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to keep talking and no one can unplug this mic because I'm alone in my house. Because so. I was going to say that. I was like, <laughs> I can't even, I'm not there. You can't. Okay. So where do you want to start? Do you want to, I feel like you've had a lot more varied jobs and like kind of you you put it to me this way the other day like you kind of hopped around and have done like little random bits and bobs um more so than I have and that's kind of the interesting thing about both of us talking about our careers is that like the way we both got to a shared place is very different yeah so do you want to just like tell us what some of those jobs were yeah sure I was going to share the list of jobs I don't know if there's that much to say about it but I do feel like they're kind of it's first of all, it's obscene, and maybe it'll give some people some <laughs> comfort who also are jumping around, which I feel like as a theme, people are doing more and more these days than as opposed to like previous generations where it's like you were a company man for a lot of your life, or like we're as a generation 
maybe a bit higher up on the hierarchy of needs of like, we don't just want the job and the stability and the career, but we want some kind of existential fulfillment or spiritual fulfillment. And, you know, so I think there's a lot more jumping around that happens. I've definitely done that. There's so many and I'm sure I'm forgetting plenty. I've had a couple careers and much more than that, I've had a lot of jobs. Probably first paid job, I mean, I was I, I babysat all the time as a kid. And then before I went to college, I took, I like deferred for a year and I was an au pair in Italy, like a live-in full-time nanny for two different families. And that was pretty formative in some weird ways. Then I was an actor in New York for like eight years and oh spoiler didn't pay too well (laughs) so that's when a lot of my like bippity bop jobs odd jobs and stuff came into play including waitressing at about every restaurant bar lounge music hall that exists in New York I bartended I've been a cocktail waitress I've been a tutor I was pretty bad at that I tutored Italian for a little bit but it was like Mm. I was, I'm not good enough in Italian to tutor it. <laughs> um, I did some voiceover acting. I worked in a billing department in my dad's office. Oh, cute. Doing like billing and filing. Well, that's when I was like in coding school. I, um, I once interviewed to be a stripper. I was pretty desperate for money. I did interview. That would have been sick. I don't know how sick it would have been. <laughs> at, like a random like pub in Jersey, I think it was. And the interview, I thought this was funny. It was a phone interview. And, and for to be a stripper, which like, I don't know why that made me laugh. I didn't end up pursuing it, which was probably the right call for me. But um, I did not have money. And I was also... I've been a software develop- developer, UX designer. I guess I could lump those into. Like- I need you to pause. I need. Yeah, yeah. I need you to pause. Yeah. You just did. You purposely do that. You literally just went from stripper to software developer in your list. It's a natural progression. The juxtaposition, <laughs> which is my favorite word in the English language, just like really struck me, and I needed to pause so that the listener also pauses and just hears that. Was that like actually the sequence of events? Like you were so desperate for money, you interviewed to be a stripper you decided not to do it and then that's when you decided to kind of abandon ship and go into something more quote-unquote stable and lucrative it wasn't quite that order I did get very desperate for money at a at certain point I remember very clearly like still pursuing acting doing the babysitting during the waitressing and I would I, I killed myself I was pretty frugal with my spending I was living in New York on like $30,000 a year which I don't even know how that's possible and I would kill myself to save like 50 bucks a month was like my, I was still trying to save. Why? Yeah. I could, I could barely live. And I remember working so hard at that and so diligently and like very conservatively and I would never go out or do things or spend or take vacation or take time off or anything. And I was on this like, I think I was like visiting my family at one point and I was with my dad and for some reason he was still like had access to my bank account and he got a notification that my bank account was overdrawn with some like automatic loan payment or I don't know what it was something overdrew me and I'd worked so hard I thought I'd saved like 
I thought I'd saved like two or $3,000 breaking my back over this for so long. And then all of a sudden I was in the negative with just like one alert that came up. on, And I, I just like, it just destroyed me. And something snapped in that moment after years of like breaking my back over this and trying to do it on the straight and narrow, something snapped. And I was just like, this was really dark, but I was just like, I'll do anything for money. I'll do, I'm tired of doing it the right way. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with stripping, but it, it really didn't align with me. And so for that reason, it would have been wrong with me and um, didn't follow through with that. But I ended up actually in an even worse job, which mm, I won't talk about it. It was extremely illegal. It was probably the most naive thing I've ever done Jess doesn't know what this job is most I think maybe I've talked to like three people about it and I would talk about it but one person who knew about it used that information to torture me for like the many many years of my life like torture torture me and it it just about ruined my life and I would say the job and the consequences were like one of the most brutal experiences I've ever been through particularly in the way that it was like basically used to torture me after the fact and um and even that was pretty formative like I don't even know if I would take that back yeah because it taught me to care about my reputation with myself I guess yeah and um yeah not too much I'll say about that but like I've I've been in some desperate and dark places I want to hold your hand yeah it was (laughs) it was like maybe like maybe that work was like actually the most formative in some ways because it was like the most traumatizing in my professional life but it's not something I'd recommend yeah I don't know well yeah I mean I think that's pretty big of you to say that you would probably still do it because you know the value of I don't know that I would do it but it was like I chose it I I just feel like I, I made any of these choices based on the information and the wisdom I had available and it was, I was a very naive person. I was very desperate. I was very angry. I was very hurt. A lot of experiences, a painful experience I'd gone through, like, made me feel indignant enough to take that job. And I had to learn a lot through the consequences of that. Damn. Okay. Damn. And so. And, and then I decided to go to coding school. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how do we get back to that? <laughs> Well, that job was when I was like 23. It didn't go on long. And I returned then to babysitting and waitressing. Took care of hundreds of New York families and their kids. And then when I was about 27, I decided to quit acting, which had been my career and passion and goal since I was like 12. And um, that was pretty tough process, but also felt like there wasn't even a choice. I was so burnt out and so exhausted and so unhappy it was like I can't do it anymore there wasn't even a choice and I just wanted stability I wanted a salary I wanted safety I had no illusions that I was looking for a new passion I was just like I want something I can tolerate for eight nine hours during the day and then have a weekend or have my evenings and um, I had a friend who was a coder we did comedy together and I got to know the world a little bit, and I was like, I think these people are really smart, but they're also creative. They seem moderately humble, not like a lot of the egomaniacs in the entertainment world. And um, and most importantly, I didn't have to go back and get another degree. I did a coding boot camp. That was really important to me to like not get into debt. Yeah. Ended up getting into coding. I did front-end development. 
And then in, once I got my first job, eventually transitioned into UX design. And then I was kind of doing both. Those That work overlaps a lot. Just so I am clear and like, I don't know, I find this stuff interesting. Maybe other people don't. We can, whatever. Whatever. You have to listen to it. Um, <laughs> front end development, does that mean like web design like front end like the thing that the user sees it's more what you see as opposed to like data structure and like databases and data handling yeah it's a lot more the code that affects um an interface or yeah stuff like that and then the design is yeah just that more the design and philosophy of user experience yeah yeah cool cool I love that stuff it was pretty it was great in a lot of ways it was actually exactly the thing that I was hoping it would be like something that was creative enough like I was really I was pretty good at math I don't know like math was enjoyable and it's not exactly mathematical but it has like the structure of that and I think that was really there was like a safety and a gratification to the structure after coming out of like such nebulous work of like just art and create and like there's no rules I was like give me some fucking rules yeah so that felt gratifying and also I realized very quickly that I cannot do a career long term that I don't give a shit about. Yeah. And and that change, it was like, it was great and it was the things I needed to be for a while and very quickly I was like, oh, this, I can't do this forever. That's a relatable feeling for sure. I mean, I, I feel like I've hit that feeling a few different times in my yeah. career trajectory, even though the jobs that I've had have been more similar to each other than yours and like kind of all on a similar career path. They've still been like different enough in the space that I was willing to have some wiggle room in where I thought I was making like a big enough change to like it better. Mm. And it just it just never happened. It, it's just too far from the things that I actually will like. And I think that's what most people do experience, whether you're like making drastic changes or little changes, just hoping that like this will fix everything, like this will be the answer. And and then feeling that disappointment when it's not, it's whether that's a promotion you've been holding out for or a pay raise you've been holding out for a title or a new career or a new position or a new company. And then getting there and being like, fuck, I'm still like pretty unhappy. That is a devastating feeling and I feel like it's pretty common. Ubiquitous, yeah. Okay, just to give the like very high level, much shorter list for me so people have the context. Yeah, like I said, I have had a career that's been kind of like, kind of made sense in terms of the steps that I've taken, like a more traditional career path um, in the corporate world. So I used the degree that I got in undergrad, which was bachelor's in public health. I got a job after college that was like in research at a healthcare organization in the DC area. I was there for about a year, really bored. The people were like boring. Everybody was boring. It was slow. I was just like, what is the point of anything I'm doing here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I you know, kind of like tapped into my network, the little network that I had at the time and was able to get a new job at a place that was similar, still in healthcare, but a little more like on the quote unquote cutting edge. I thought that if I went to like a health technology company, it would be cooler and more fast paced and cooler people. And it kind of was, I mean, like it was definitely an improvement, but still like not enough excitement for what I ultimately want. Um, and the things that ultimately like tickle me, but it was better. I stayed at this next company for four years and that was in DC? In DC, yeah. 
Um, and that's really the job that I consider my first true job out, you know, after graduating college. The first one I feel like was kind of a trial run and I just was like, this isn't it. And then this next job that I'm talking about that was in D.C. for four years um, is really where I like learned a lot of the foundational skills in the professional world, like communication skills, making PowerPoints, which I referred to in a um, previous episode, like as much as that sounds like bullshit, it's like 75% of what happens at a corporate job. Yeah. Um, And I just got really good at those types of things, working on teams, like leading a team. I stayed there for a while. I had multiple promotions there. It was like all was going well according to what you're told is is going like equals going well. Yeah. Again, it was just not enough. It was just not enough. I, during that time, started studying for my master's degree, um, a master's in public health in the evenings while I was working um, because my company had like a tuition reimbursement program. So I was like, I can take advantage of this because it has to do with the work I'm doing. Maybe once I go to school and learn more about this, I can become like more specialized and maybe that will interest me more if I have like a lot of specialized knowledge in healthcare or something. And no, it it didn't do it. Um, I think the other reason I went for the master's too was I felt like in this traditional corporate world, that's so sought after and seen as like a reputation boost. And I never wanted the fact that I didn't have one to hold me back. So that was kind of my reason to get one was like, I don't want as a woman in the corporate world for anyone to be like, you only have a bachelor's degree, so you can't get the promotion or you can't get the job or whatever. And so that was kind of my backwards logic into like investing all that time and energy and money into my master's degree. Doesn't seem so backwards. It seems like probably the reason like so many people do it. Why are you putting it down like that? Well, I think it is definitely a common reason, but I also think it's... It's kind of like backwards convincing yourself into it in a way. It's like if I don't have this, what will happen as opposed to if I do have this, like why do I really want it? Does that make sense? I mean, I definitely get being like, do I actually want to do this degree? I Yes. Like the different, the shift in that way of making professional calls for yourself is it's a big shift and it's really hard to balance. Yeah. But it also makes sense that you that you made that call, yeah. So yeah, I was doing school and work at the same time. Eventually decided, I think once I finished my master's, I was expecting that my job would promote me because I kind of earned it and now I have this new degree and all this stuff and they were putting it off. And I was really fed up. I had been there for several years at that point and I was like, I'm not waiting any longer for this. So I started to look for new jobs, and that's when I took a job in Chicago that brought me here. Um, what's funny is that I – that was a big leap, right? That was like a big leap for you? Huge, huge, yeah. It was like first time I had moved out of the area. We grew up in Maryland. I went to college in Maryland. I went back to D.C. after college and worked there. I was like 20 minutes from my family. Yeah, and so I, I was actually exclusively looking for jobs in D.C. at the time. But a friend of mine who had just moved to Chicago knew about this company and saw that they were hiring. And she was like, I just really think that you'd be interested in the stuff they're doing. Check it out. Let me know if you want me to connect you. And at that point, I was like, I really can't say no to cool opportunities. Like, what's the harm in just seeing? And literally the whole time I was interviewing for this job, I was like, 
I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to move to Chicago. This is, you know, I'm just doing this for like shits and giggles. Like I was so in denial, but the more I interviewed, the more I wanted it. And I was seeing myself get really excited about it and like work really hard at the different interview stages and all this stuff. So yeah, so I ended up getting that job, taking that job, moving to Chicago. And that was a hugely pivotal time in my life of like making that move, taking this job, ending a relationship not as a result of the move, but like in tandem with that. Um, I was there for two and a half years. Again, it was like a step up, but it was still not enough. And that's when kind of COVID hit. I started to burn out because I was just like working remotely from my apartment all day long. And once you removed the being in the office with the people mm-hmm. and getting up every morning and putting on a cute outfit and doing the commute and listening to a podcast on the bus and like feeling like a city girl. Like once you removed all those trappings of what made that job actually fun, I was like, oh, this job is not fun it, or it's just not for me. Right. So that's when I took a career break and I took a year off to just like reset and figure it out. And I'm really lucky that I had saved up a lot over – the, those eight years in my career and I was able to stop working completely and like live off of my savings and I didn't really have a plan for how long that break was going to be I actually thought that it would be no longer than six months but it was I could talk so much about the career break I'm very interested I think it's very valuable to talk about as much as you want to I think I just like thought that if I took three to six months off I'll figure it all out. And I was so burnt out and I sort of knew what I wanted to do next, but not fully. And so it just took a lot longer to get to the point where I really knew what should be next and what I was confident to pursue next. So it was like Mm -hmm. first two months was just completely decompressing from the last eight years. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) This is insane. But, but like, yes, yes. It was just like not moving, not moving at all just going for walks and like being in the sun and like being quiet going out with my friends on the weekends when they had time because they were all still working so during the week I was just like sitting um I did a solo road trip wow and like drove down the coast of California and did some like soul searching like Kerouac vibes for a little bit that way that is the thing like that is that is making the change like I think when people think they're like, well, I don't know what to do next. It's like, you got to simmer. You got to simmer, especially if you've been on a track for a long time. You've been in a little bit of a trance. You haven't had to get in touch with like, what are you craving right now? Like, what is what actually does sit well with you? What does align with you? Like, you have to simmer for a while on it, I feel, before those things emerge. Like, I don't think anyone should freak out because they're like, I don't know what I want to do next or what the change is. Like, carve out that time to simmer and be quiet and sit for two months or be alone or whatever. I, I think that's that is the thing. It's so hard because for people who have been on that path, at least if not everybody because of the world we live in, you're so used to tying your value to your productivity. Produce, yep. And as soon as you stop producing, even though you can feel in every inch of your body and every part of your mind that you need to rest and stay still to figure out what comes next – like actually letting yourself do that is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. I was constantly facing like guilt and shame that I was projecting on myself about 
the fact that I wasn't doing enough during this time. I started a podcast. That's when I first started peaking. And it was like, you have all the time in the world. You have every day of the week open. You're not doing enough with this podcast. You should maybe do volunteer work or find some random hobby job or like I just wanted to go back to working do 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 produce produce because that's what felt comfortable yeah that makes total sense yeah and so really letting myself not do that was like the biggest part of that first six months getting comfortable with the fact that oh it's month three and I don't think I'm even close to figuring Mm -hmm. out what I want to do next and just letting myself take more time like that was that was a hugely um, unexpected part of it and like a big learning. For me, I think I also had that period, but it was while I was working in tech. Like I didn't, as I said, I was like begging someone to let me be a stripper. I had no money. I definitely couldn't take off. I had no savings. I couldn't like take off for a year. And I knew I had to keep working or like have an income, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like I hadn't had to answer that question since I was 12. I remember like watching my older sister who was so talented, so brilliant, like like shut the fuck up. You're so fucking brilliant. (laughs) Could do so many things. And I remember watching her struggle through like what should I do? Where should I go? She could probably do too many things. And I remember as like a kid being like, wow, I'm so glad I never had that problem. And then here I was at 28 for the first time asking that question, like, okay, what do I want to do? And I had no clue. I had no answer, but I knew I had to like keep making an income while I figured it out. So for, for me working a job, like if that's where you find yourself and you're like, well, I can't, I don't have the savings to like just pause for me. Like I knew kind of doing something mindless, doing something I truly didn't care about that paid the bills, whether it's like an hourly job working in a bakery and that's enough to support you or serving tables or for me it was like starting a tech career I was like I can do that and it takes very little energy for me creatively reflectively emotionally and it it gave me like four years basically to figure out oh I'm having a lot of fun with interior design and um, that was like my simmering period but whatever way you can do to take the pressure of finances off of you, I think is so yeah. important because you can't start making those like reflective digging choices in an honest way um, if like finances is clouding it too much. So I think there's different ways to get that reflection stillness period. You're so right about the finances and stability piece. Like you cannot properly do this type of reflection if you're stressed about that stuff. So for the first six months of my year off, I was living pretty comfortably. I had saved enough. But because I had only really projected that I thought I would take six months and it turned out to be a year, for the second six months, while I had money still, it was like getting closer and closer to, okay, I need to start making money again. And so as the year came to a close I was getting more and more desperate starting to apply for back to corporate jobs and back to like what I what I had left because I I needed to make money again and that's just a reality for all of us and during those six months when I was like really focused on finding a new job that was what I was constantly thinking about is what you just said was like how do I find something where I can keep this momentum going of like the self-reflection and the stuff I've started with my podcast and the 
you know, I think I'm getting closer to figuring out like exactly it, what it is that I want to do, but I'm not quite, I haven't quite figured it out yet. You needed a little more time. And I need to buy more time. Yeah. And I couldn't buy more time without literally buying it, without literally having the money to support it. And so when I was looking for jobs, I was like, I need to find something that still, you know, aligns with who I am and kind of my values but gives me space in a way that I did not have that space in the last eight years of my career. And the job that I have now yeah, gives me that. And it's funny because I've talked about my job a little bit here and there on the podcast. And some of my friends have been like, do your coworkers listen to your podcast? Like the way you talk about your job is questionable. <laughs> and to me, first of all, I don't think it's that questionable. But I think the reason is because like I'm allowed to – have good boundaries with my work and not have it be like the epitome of my existence and talk about that. And if my employer hears that, I don't think that that should be reason for them to like terminate my employment. Oh, you don't care. Am I getting my work done? It, it would be. It would be at some <laughs> at some companies. It certainly would be. They certainly do totally. expect that you're getting um, the company logo branded on your tit. Totally. But I uh, I don't want to work at that company. And and whether that came up, my disinterest came up with them or not, the, those those positions didn't work out for me. The jobs that expected me to code till two a.m. for no overtime pay, like it didn't work out for other reasons. So if that is the culture, like plenty of companies do have that culture. I've been at them. And I've also been at a company that like they fully supported, you know, when I started doing YouTube in tandem, I thought it had to be like such a dark, dirty secret. Mm. And they like, my boss would like prompt me to share about it more, prompt me to talk about it more, prompt me to share articles and videos and what I was learning. And they did that with everybody. So those cultures do also exist. It's kind of, I think, a newer idea. Like, what do you mean? You're, you're, you're allowed to continue to be a whole person outside of your outside the office space yeah you better be right you better be or you're gonna crash and burn exactly exactly that's gonna come back to bite me at this very job I mean I think the types of companies I'm interested in working for for as long as I'm working for somebody else are those that allow me that space and that understand like if I'm getting the work done at a high quality then that's what I've signed up to do here I haven't signed up to sell my soul um and that was a big thing when I was looking for jobs. I talked about my year off. I talked about the fact that I had a podcast. I talked about the fact that I wanted to continue with that. And I found a company that like that was an asset to them mm-hmm. when they hired me. They were like, this is somebody who, you know, has things going on outside of work. Ha- and that will make her more inspired and more energized when she comes to work, hopefully. When you're interviewing with jobs, like you have to remember you are interviewing them. Yeah. Like you are, uh, obviously it depends where, like how desperate you are for a job. There were some times where I was like, I'll do anything. But you are also interviewing them on their values. And it's hard to sometimes get the straight answer because a lot of people will say, this is our value. We Who the fuck is saying we don't support work-life balance? Like, no one's saying that they don't. No. But there are ways to sniff it out, to talk to more employees, to walk through, get a tour of the office, see how fucking miserable everybody f- seems, uh, like, how little they're talking to each other. Like, yeah. see how miserable people are. And, you know, find the ways that you can kind of sniff it out. Find people who used to work there on LinkedIn. You can see people who no longer work there, and they're probably going to more freely talk about it. Mm-hmm. Glassdoor is like a resource I used a lot that gives honest reviews um, 
on companies and their culture and their benefits and like sniff it out because you're interviewing them. During this time when I was looking for jobs, I actually had a career coach who is a friend of mine and was able to help me with like the process. And one of the things that she told me was the worst question to ask in an interview is what's the work-life balance like? The best question to ask to get at the answer you actually want is what do you do outside of work? Mm. Like what are do you, what are your hobbies? Like get to know the person that's interviewing you if it's appropriate. And I mean maybe there's always like kind of different stages of interviews in, in the corporate world. And usually there's one that's kind of with a peer level person. Right. So that's a good person to ask like do you feel like you have time – to do things outside of work and they might talk about their family they might talk about a hobby they might talk about a side hustle I love that whatever fits what you're looking for like that's the way to get that answer because they're trained to say yeah work-life balance it's great you know yeah how are they not gonna say that ask them out on a date when they're interviewing you ask them out on a date on Friday night and see if they're available and if they're like no I'll be working you're like oh we can't we can't kiss and that's I think (laughs) that's the advice I'd like to give I love that Thank you. We talked about our our trajectories, but there's a lot of like learnings and themes and all that to dig into within there. And I don't know where to start. There's too much. I think I set my professional life into really three, maybe four categories or phases. The first would be when I was just strictly pursuing a passion, full time on a passion, which was when I was acting. And, you know, I had like side jobs to support it, but I wouldn't consider those career pursuits. Those just were to pay the bills. And I had one career pursuit and it was a passion, all the way passion, 100% passion. I've got feelings about that now. Um, The second phase I would say was 0% passion, 100%. My career pursuit was just day job. I wanted to clock out at the end of the day. I, I didn't really want to grow I hardly wanted to learn. I barely wanted to thrive. I just wanted to coast and exist and <laughs> <To> clock. <be. laughs> I just wanted to be and clock the fuck out. Um, that also didn't work. Like neither of those really worked for me. And then there was a phase when I started taking on interior design clients. I started making YouTube videos. I was still in my tech job where I was basically doing both. I was balancing both. And that in a way was great. And it was so important to me to make that transition feasible But of course, there was another price there, which was that I was working a million hours. And um, so that was another short phase, but basically doing a career I didn't give a shit about. And these things I cared about so much and and would have done for free and was often doing for free, doing both. And now I'm kind of in like a fourth phase where once again, I'm pursuing, I'm full time in a passion. And, And that I think is very easily touted as the dream, but because I've done it before and because I've I've watched the ways it's crashed and burned, or even if you hit certain metrics of external success, the way it can deteriorate you, the danger of putting all your hopes and dreams on, on a love, on a passion, I'm very disillusioned now about like what that entails. So I have a lot of reservations about it, and I do think I'm approaching it very differently than I did when I was 18, of course. But um, I'm kind of like, I've kind of come full circle. And of course, in another way, I hope it's not full circle. I would say my first job, like first phase was just kind of like laying the foundation, building basic skills, like getting my foot in the door. The next phase was stepping out of my comfort zone. So that was when I took the job in Chicago. And it was like a bigger risk than I 
had really known before. To some people, that might not seem like a big risk. For me, in my context, it was at the time. It's notable that at the start of that job, I hated it. I was miserable. I was like, when can I move back? When can I have my old life back? And there was a point in there when I just realized I I actually chose this. I actually said yes to this job offer. I decided to do this. There's some reason that I'm now here. I have to start leaning in a little bit more. And I let myself dive into it and I turned out to really love it for a time. But then I kind of realized I had dived in too much (laughs) and I was burning out. So it's really a fine line like what you just talked about of Mm -hmm. it wasn't a passion per se, but I did like really give my whole self to it. Yeah. And for a time that was paying off and then there was a time right after it when it was like I've done too much. Oh my gosh. The next one was career break, which is like trying to pursue passions um, because I was hoping that if I can work on things that I'm passionate about, maybe I won't burn out. Um, And then because I needed the stability and like the runway, now I'm at a point where I'm kind of combining both, like what you talked about. Yes. Yeah. I'm doing my passion here with you. I also have a full-time day job. I'm going to see how that pans out. I'm going to see when... The scale maybe tips. Mm-hmm. I'm going to decide at that point, like, what do I do next? When I was reflecting on these different phases and trying to think about, like, what is the lesson I would share about how I made these decisions? I don't feel like any of them were decisions. I don't feel like any of them were decisions. I felt like I, um, and I don't know if this is good. I don't know if I'm recommending this, but this is very much the truth for me. Like, I didn't feel like it was a choice to go into acting. I had no choice. I I would die for it. It was what I was set on. There was nothing else I cared about. There's nothing else I enjoyed. There's nothing else I felt good about, good at in that way. Like it wasn't a choice. I'm doing it. And I have no regrets about it for that reason because I was like, if I hadn't done that, certainly I'd be living the rest of my life being like, man, if only I'd had the courage to do that thing I always loved. Like no choice, no choice involved. And when I quit, there was no choice. I had nothing left to give. It was dead. I was dead. Mm. I, I There was no choice to go into a, something that I cared about, to a next passion. I had no capacity for passion. And when tech and like YouTube got to the point where I was kind of debating like, do I quit tech and go full time into YouTube? My approach was to put it off as long as possible until it basically became untenable, until it basically made no more sense to be investing in tech until it basically felt like investing in a dead relationship. Like it no longer makes sense for me. Like this YouTube thing, it would actually be foolish not to be giving my full to it. I think there's parts of that that come from burnout and probably I don't recommend. But at least when it comes to like if you're in that place where you're deciding, do I want to like take a deeper leap into the passion work? Having gone through all different versions to me, this the the best way w- had been waiting until like it was easy to make that change, waiting until like it was carrying me that it, it almost didn't feel like a choice. And basically that like, I think to pursue anything creative or passion or whatever, the best way to pursue it is to not rely on it for money. So whether that means having other jobs, making your life difficult for a little bit in that way, the thing that it makes easier is the work that you care about. Because the worst thing you can do is to pervert that work. Like if it's an art or something creative or a business that's your baby, the worst thing you could do is to start perverting the choices you make in it because 
um, you're relying it 100, on it 100% for money. And then you start warping this thing that like the whole point of it is to be pure. The whole point of it is, is that you're not working for a giant company or someone else's agenda. Like the whole point of it is that you're kind of doing it out of your heart. And then if you start perverting that, then it's like, well, why are we doing this? Yeah. I think what you said about how some of it might have been almost like motivated by burnout. And so in that way, you maybe don't recommend it, but it's just what happened. I do relate to that piece because I think when I decided to take the career break, it was like nothing else made sense. It was like, oh yeah, I am at the end of a road. There is nowhere else to go, but like jump off the cliff. Like, but at other points when I was making a career change, it didn't feel like that. It felt like I was making kind of calculated choices. The road was one that I was almost paved. Like I understood better in the context of a corporate career, like what the decision points could be and what the factors could be. It's just a much more traditional, it's what I've been fed my whole life. It's what I've seen my parents do. It like made sense Mm -hmm. what the choices were almost like. But I do think now that I'm more in a place where I'm value driven what you described about choice like aligns more with me like Mm. I'm chasing things that I value um, and align with my value system and when that's what I'm using as the compass it's not choice it's just this is what it is this is what makes sense but I didn't realize that that's the compass I wanted to use until like a few years ago I think it takes people a long time I think it's amazing that when you were 12, you chose acting and you were like, this is the only thing that makes sense. Well, it was the only thing, it was the only thing that made sense to me, but I didn't know anything about what, I knew I liked performance. Like the thing I was choosing was performance, which performance for any, anyone pursuing any art, like the art itself is a very small percentage of the career pursuing that art. Most of being an actor is not performing. Most of being an actor is waiting tables, is going to classes, is like talking to people, trying to network, which I couldn't, um, is babysitting, is like begging for an audition. Even getting the audition, that is so rare that that is considered the work. Like you worked if you got just an audition, which again is not paid and you probably didn't get the job. But like that is how small the percentage of the career of acting comprises actual acting. And that's true for for like most of these pursuits, I think. And so I, I knew I loved performance, but I had no idea what a career pursuing performance actually meant. And the biggest thing that took me years to get any kind of sense of was like being able to ask the question like, do I like the day-to-day of this? And I think that's the thing most people struggle with. It's very, it was very easy to like what a career says about you or or to know how you feel about like the identity of that career. Do I like telling people I'm an actor? Do I like telling people I'm a coder? Do I like telling people I'm a doctor? Do I like the idea of it? Do I like the uniform? Do I like um, the times I'm on stage? Do I like the moments, the few moments I get to do surgery? Like, do I get like these little parts is a very different question than like, do I like getting up day to day and doing the work that it involves, like all the ugly stuff? I feel like one of the things people ask a lot in DMs and stuff is like, 
getting over like people's judgment or external validation or reactions to you wanting to quit something or change something. And that is like, that's a big deal. It's like a handcuff for most people. It definitely was for me. I'm sure you felt that at times. But like for me, pursuing acting was I'd, I'd made it my identity. I'd made it my purpose. I'd made it the only thing I cared about. I'd made it was how people knew me. Oh, that's the actor one. How's the acting going? Um, it was my whole identity. And so the idea of quitting felt like such an ego blow, a, such an identity, identity loss, loss of purpose, loss of everything. If you're battling with the fear of external validation or external reactions, like hold those choices in your hand. Work a job you don't like. Work a job you hate for the rest of your life till you die so that people are cool with you or like make a change and quit and possibly like what do you what do you encounter some people at a party being like oh you changed jobs okay they don't give a fuck they don't or like maybe some people i think the hardest stuff is actually probably family and friends who are closer to you they will be more invested because they are invested in your stability guess what mom doesn't want you to make a big risk basically no mom does because she just loves you and she's stressed She's probably not going to encourage you to take a career leap. And she's also not the one who gets has to get up every day and like watch her soul die a little bit in the mirror. And like, these are the choices. These are the choices. Do this for the rest of your life and then you fucking die. Or like try something else. Try like you already know this thing isn't working. You already know that's the, the in this world of unknowns and risks and taping taking leaps. There's probably one thing you know for sure, which is that like this one isn't doing it. This job, this career isn't doing it. And even even when I was in tech, it started killing my soul in a different way because I felt like it it made me feel like such a liar. I have this like like honesty compulsion, and I couldn't bring that into tech. I had to show up every day and pretend I cared about the work, pretend I gave a shit about the code. It was so meaningless to me. And I cared about my coworkers, but I didn't care about the job. Mission didn't matter. None of it mattered. And you can't say that all the time, I realized. So I'd just be lying. Eight, nine hours a day, I'd be lying. Every smile was a lie. Every, like comment of participation in a, in a meeting was a lie, a mask. And I think that's a very relatable feeling. And that, that was eroding me. It felt, it, it got to the point where it felt like a moral failure. Other people can sit in their comfortable seat from the outside and say like, you should do it still. It's good. It's safe. And like, they don't have to live in it. They don't have to live in that career. Yeah. A few things that have helped me through that exact issue. So one of them is, and take it or leave it, but this really actually has helped me. So I always tell myself, and I actually really believe this, like a couple things that tie up together. One of them is you're never stuck. You can always make a change. I feel like a lot of times people get comfortable and the stuckness, listen, I talk about stuck porn. Queen of stuck. I know about stuckness. Um, (laughs) It's you're only stuck if you make yourself stuck. So you can make a change whenever you want. And then if and when you do, I also always tell myself, I can always go back. Yes, people forget that. I'm going to bet that if you make the change, you're not going to want to go back. But if you do want to, you always can. When I moved to Chicago and was miserable in that job and was like, I I just want to leave. I just want to leave. My mom told me, give it six months. Put on your calendar, June 10th. That's six months from when you moved. And if, if that at that point you want to move back to D.C. and go back to what you're doing before and whatever, 
you can. And guess what? By that point, I didn't want to anymore. Yes. If you give yourself the freedom to say, I'm going to make a change, but I could also go back, it it just opens up the world to you. So that's something that I really, um, I really swear by. I think it applies to a lot of things too, not just career, like relationships, like Ugh. anything. You can always go back. So t- do the thing you want to do now and see. Do I do I want to do the thing or do I want to, I want to go back? I love it with the I love it with the the analogy of like moving. I hear that all the time. People are like really belaboring the decision to move to a city, and it's like you're 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 harping on this decision for so long. It, there's clearly something there. And it's like, you can move back. You really can. And we're not saying that it's easy. Like, it can be so much more complicated. You can have a mortgage. You can have kids. You can have relations. You can have community. Listen, it's not ever going to be easy. We're not saying you do it because it's easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And I just think it's a lot harder to, like, stay in something that makes you feel dead for the rest of your life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a city, whether it's a job. Like, yes, it's difficult, and you can do a difficult thing. People do it every day, and yes, it will be difficult. But this idea that, like, but it's going to be difficult, it's like, yes, I agree. I agree. It's going to be difficult, and you can do it. Isn't it also difficult to be, like, wasting away right now? So at least it's a different difficult. At least it's a new difficult. That's how I always feel. Another thing that I think about – I read this in like a magazine at some it was literally like in a Cosmo magazine which you know bless them for having some good advice when I was like 15 and read this but I saw this like write up you know they always had a page that was about career in the rest of the magazine was about like fashion and sex um and they said look at the person two steps above you at your job do you want their job and that's a check that I always have with myself ever since I read that like it's a check I've had at every point when I've decided to do something different in my career do I want that person's job and most of the time the answer has been no and so then I start to think okay well what does that mean I want to do instead and so then the thing I asked myself and I read this somewhere else at some point in Cosmo was in Cosmo, the only thing I'll actually read. I only read book titles, but Cosmo, I'm reading cover to cover. Let's start adding fo- footnotes and like uh, bibliography just to Cosmo yeah. for, for every of episode. All of my references. Your Cosmo references. So then you think, okay, I don't want their job. So what job do I want? And I think I've been really honest with myself about like, who are the people in the world that I look at and I'm jealous of? Like, whose life do I look at and I'm like, damn, I want that. And damn, I think I could have it. I think I could do that. You've described going, like making the leap towards YouTube kind of in that way of like, you were watching a lot of interior design YouTube videos and you were like, I feel like I could do that. Like, that's a real check that you can have with yourself of like, who am I looking at and saying to myself, I want what they have and I know I can do it. Who are you jealous of? The whole package too. Yeah. Of like the life that that career involves. And the life that comes with it, the day to day that comes with it. Because I would look at my managers at my jobs and like them as people, appreciate them in the work, but like not be jealous of where they were. And I'd be looking at people on YouTube and people on podcasts and people entertaining, comedians, whoever. And I'm like, I'm jealous of that. That's great. I think the tricky part is figuring out like what does the whole picture look like of of what is the reality of working that job. The last thing I thought of while you were talking about reputation and kind of like 
pride about the work that you do and how it's going to come off to other people. That is such a hard one. I, during my year off, when I was weighing, like, do I start my own business? Do I like really invest and make my podcast something that I want to grow? Or do I go back to a corporate career? Or do I do both? Whatever. Like that was a factor that played on my mind because I have had this 10-year corporate career that while it's not what like lights me up, I am proud of it because I've worked really hard for it. I have like invested in education for it. And just like the pillars of what society has told me is important are represented in that 10-year career. And so it makes me feel smart. It makes me feel like impressive. It makes me feel like I've done the things that my parents told me I should be wanting to do and it makes them proud and it's something they can tell their friends and they all respect. And it was a big thing for me to tackle in my head about like, but I want to do this stuff that like, I still, I think is impressive. When I see people doing it, I'm impressed by them, but it's not like the standard and it's not what my parents will understand. And I even feel that a little bit in my job now where I've chosen to go back to the corporate world, but I've chosen a little bit of like an easier job. In the trajectory of what my jobs have been and like where my career path was could have been going if I wanted it to go somewhere like really impressive, like I could have taken it to be the president of some company yeah. and be like doing like strategy and blah, 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 all these impressive things. I, I have that in me and I have it in my resume, but I chose to do something that I knew that would be a little bit easier for me. But when I tell people about it, I don't feel the same pride that I felt when I was in consulting and like doing strategy for big health systems. And like it was it was impressive by all standards that they know. Um, now I'm in marketing, a very important role in a company, don't get me wrong, but I am, I am like a little bit low on the totem pole and I'm not really looking to grow. I, I'm not really stressing about like making more money or getting a promotion. There are people on my team at my exact level who I'm sure are, and they will, and they will like become chief marketing officers. And that is a badass thing. And I'm not trying to put down this career. All I'm saying is that I don't feel motivated in my career right now because I have this thing going on on the side. And it's weird for me to be in an, in these new shoes of like, I could be doing more at this company. I'm used to doing more at this company. I'm used to being the person who wants to chase the promotion. I'm actively deciding. Actually, I'm not even actively deciding. It's one of those things where like th- there is no choice. Yeah. It doesn't feel natural to me. I don't want. I don't want the promotion. I literally don't want it. And so I'm not pursuing it. But that's just like so at odds with what you've done, where I've been in the past in the corporate world. And and it's hard to explain to other people. I don't like to say what I do. I like to talk about my podcast. Right. I don't like to talk about what my day job is right now because it's not as impressive by my standards as like it could have been or it was. That alone feels like the bold move that you've made. That's the leap you've made. You were like, I am going to strip myself of the carrot of impressiveness so I can't even chase that carrot anymore because I've put myself on a on a job that's like maybe not a stretch for me and maybe it won't feel that impressive to me. And in a way, I feel like that's a strategic way of making sure you invest your soul 
in the place you want your soul to grow. It's like, I haven't put, you haven't put yourself in a place that feels impressive to you. You put yourself in a place that's a day job, basically. Yeah. And um, so it's not even an option, but that, that sounds surreal that you can look to your right and see the person next to you who's got the job next to you and watch them living maybe your parallel life chasing the carrot yes in a way that you maybe be able to do it better than them if you wanted to but you're not and there they are right next to you that's surreal it is and i when i first got to this job i was struggling with that the sense of self wrapped up in that the identity wrapped up in that and the things the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and the stories we tell other people about ourselves like what's oh, yeah who am i what's my identity what's the narrative it just looks so different for me now than it did two years ago and i am so much more content but it is also like so different from what it was that i still have those moments when i want to flip back like there's something there's a reflex in me that's like yeah flipping back for a second of like oh no but i'm not Oh, no. I think there's value to being a little protective of, like, a little protective of your dreams and, like, nascent, like, plans. Um, Not so protective and private that you're not also, like, open to advice and wisdom from the people you respect. But as soon as, like, you have this new plan, like, that you're going to grow in the podcast world or whatever it was. I don't, I don't know what your plans are because you're you're protecting it. But like for me, when I, st- when I made my first YouTube video privately, I was like, I'm going to make this a career. But at the time, I was just like a dude in Ohio uh, who was a failed actor and pretty much a failed coder and like filmed a video. I, w- I would never – it was mortifying enough to say I'd made one video and posted to YouTube. I would never – I never, I don't think I ever said to anyone that my plan was to be a full-time YouTuber until I'd already, until it had already happened. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of what I wanted. Like until it was already, it already happened. And um, I think there's a, there's, there's an insecure part of me there that was like so afraid of announcing a goal and not achieving it, afraid of another public failure. But also I think there's a a slight benefit to that because as soon as you announce a nascent dream or like an ambitious dream or something that like other people that you're gonna have to explain you immediately become defensive about it and well this is why I'm thinking and this is how it's gonna work and I think actually not what you're thinking but like it's kind of gonna look like this and this is why it's sort of reasonable and doable and like the business will grow this way and there's actually a big market and like you immediately start getting defensive when you're trying to explain and relay your vision for your life to people, because it's not their vision. They don't have the vision. They just want you to have a salary. Like, they're worried about you. So I think there's a lot of value to being very protective of your nascent dreams, um, which doesn't mean to, like, not vet them and not research and not ask for input from, from the right people. But I don't like to tell people my plans, I've learned, because I found... Sometimes my plans fail and sometimes they succeed and pretty much nobody gets them either way. So (laughs) I don't trust you guys with them, basically. Yeah, that's such a good lesson that you've shared with me before. And I I was learning like I've been learning that lesson um, and I was mid learning it when you put it in those words to me. And I was like, oh, (laughs) it helps me to have like words for this. Because it's true, like, and your plans might change. And if they change and then you have to explain the change, then it's just, it, it's it's just an exhausting, 
it's a place that you don't need to put your energy. Like it's it's taking away energy from the planning that you're doing for this vision that you have yes. by having to explain it to everyone and then explain the reason that you pivoted and then um, take back the thing you said because that didn't really work, but now this is going to work. Or It immediately gets you wrapped up in other people's reaction to your decision making as opposed to the whole point, which is like, what does it feel like to be pursuing this thing? What is my experience of pursuing what I thought was a dream or what I thought was a business or what I thought was a good idea? Like it takes away your being in touch with whether it's aligning with you while you're doing it. And you're like, well, I, I don't know. This kind of sucks, but it'd be embarrassing to tell my mom that I've changed the plan. And then you also hear yourself defending it. And when you hear yourself having to become defensive about it and make a case for it and also give caveats as to why it might not work, like you're telling yourself that when you tell someone else that. Yeah. Even if you so believe in what you're doing, the more you play that role in defending it to other people, the more that's like, again, the story that you're telling other people and therefore you're telling yourself. And I've found I've gotten in my own way by doing that and so keeping those things close to the chest Mm -hmm. can really be empowering and really like free you from from needing approval from everyone else something that has been helpful to me is thinking about like basically following the fear I think if you are really afraid of something there's also something you really want about it and that's what's scary probably the risk of not getting it um, you keep asking about moving to a new city. Should I move to a new city? Should I move to a new city? It's like, you're pretty fixated on it. Like, sounds like, sounds like you're pretty curious about it. And there is a big fear of not getting some reward that you're also very excited about there, um, with a job or with, with any of these choices. So I do think there's a lot of value to more or less at times following, pursuing the scary thing. If for nothing else, like at the very least, you walk away with like a full and colorful life where you tried things. Like I just feel like the point of, I don't know the point of life is, but I think one thing that makes me feel fulfilled and like I didn't waste my days is being like, oh, I tried some weird shit. Um, I've taken that to some extremes, but it feels great. People ask me all the time if I regret pursuing acting absolutely not I would not I would I would absolutely regret dying and being like wow I never tried that thing I wanted to do since I was a child the fuck kind of life is that um so like exploring your fear I think there's a lot of value there I'm not gonna say that it always pans out like that's what risk is and I think there is still value in stretching yourself um so I don't know I would just look closely at the things you're terrified to do Mm -hmm. and do your research and consult with people whose opinions you actually value the advice and the consult of people who whose life you like and who you're like oh they live in a balanced way or they uh share my values like you know weigh in with their advice um but I I think look into the fear there could be something really important there I think a good way to look into that fear is like this really simple method that I learned in consulting we would use it on like strategy projects and I actually have taken it stolen it and use it in my personal life run with it and it's called the five whys 
And it's literally just asking yourself why a bunch of times. So like, I want to do this thing, but I'm afraid of it. Why? Answer it. Then whatever your answer is, well, why? Answer it again. Yeah. Whatever it is, why? Answer it again. And it helps you get to the root. It's like a root problem analysis. The like existential motivation that's behind the choice. Yeah. I find a lot of times with things I'm afraid of that feel like they'd be a risk, the ultimate why, the root why is like, because I don't know if I can do it. Mm. Ultimately, that is at the root of a lot of these questions. And if that's at the root of it, that's within your power in a way. Like, Mm-hmm. that's something that you can test. That's something that's all you. Sure, there's a ton of outside factors. There's luck. There's money. There's there's things you have to navigate. But like you failing is just you failing. It's like it's just you. It's just within you. It's like, so okay. And then you go back, like I said before. It also made me think about somebody that wrote us recently and said, how do you figure out what your intuition is telling you like so often we refer to doing the intuitive thing like doing the thing that your intuition is telling you or not going against your intuition Mm. and somebody wrote us and was like I love that but how good question and I will say for me like that really made me think I really like that question thank you to the person that dm'd that um tough question i think for me what i've realized is like the only way that i can answer that and it's not enough of an answer like you're not gonna be satisfied but it's just doing the wrong thing oh, that's exactly what i was gonna say that's exactly i don't think you figured it out without fucking up a ton without a doing million it the times. wrong way for so long for you so you have to long. run yourself into the brick wall of the wrong thing and then the other brick wall over here of the wrong thing you're in a brick box and you're running into all of them it's like you're that little character in the video game and you just keep running for it this is how i play video games i'm like just banging up against the wall a hundred times and then i'm like i slowly figure out how to turn right or it's like you're you're surrounded by the brick but it's like a chimney this is what i'm picturing it's like (laughs) tall and so you're hitting it in every which direction you turn right you turn left you're still hitting it but then You've hit enough things and like enough momentum has built up where like somehow you get higher. Like you're hitting the wall enough where like now you're moving up. You're self-propelling up the chimney. (laughs) Yeah, you're still hitting the wall, but like you're going, you're building the momentum where it's like starting to bring you up. I don't know. Like that's what I'm picturing as I talk about this. Um, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. My brain just like visualizes stuff and I might have a exposed brick in my bedroom and that's probably part of the reason I'm thinking about this. But brick, the answer is bricks. If the answer is bricks, I just think you have to do the wrong thing over and over again and then you learn what didn't work about that and then that starts to feed your knowledge of like what does work, you know, cancel stuff yes. out and then that's how your intuition starts to build And you start to become aware of this feeling inside you sooner and sooner. Yeah. Where like you start to realize sooner when something's not working instead of only two years later. What I think is very comforting about that and what I think is true is that like being in touch with your intuition is not an inborn talent. It's a skill. It's a skill and like any skill you can sharpen it and you can hone it. Try stuff and be committed to giving honest reviews of what the experience is like, what it feels like, and committing yourself to separating other people's opinion 
of what it's like for you, your families, your parents, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, like be committed to separating their fucking loud opinion of what that job is like for you or what it means about you. Like that's what intuition is. Be committed to, to trying a bunch of shit, be committed to the fact that it's not all going to stick and be committed to like looking at it brutally honestly and tuning out other people's opinion Mm -hmm. um and that's all it is i i definitely feel like i did not have the skill at all i'm just learning to hone it and um and you can too we did it wow (laughs) sounds like we solved it prince abby our fearless editor has a day less than usual for this one because we had to delay recording and it's an hour and a half of content so we salute you prince (laughs) we salute you Um, prince <laughs> the we monarchy. bow to your throne. The monarchy lives the another monarchy day. The monarchy lives another day. <laughs> I think in the monarchy, Abby is prince. You and I are two gay kings. <laughs> I co kings. Could not agree more. No one's a queen here. No. Two gay kings. Don't ever call me a queen. I'm a king. We refer to ourselves as brothers frequently. So maybe we're yeah. like two. <laughs> Kings, like they left the throne to both brothers because they couldn't figure it out. Wait, we're we're brother we're brother kings, so we're, we're brother kings. A little incest, a little incest. And together we bore one inbred prince child, and we made that child edit our podcast. <laughs> Y'all, baby, thanks for tuning in today. We hope you grew. We hope you didn't fall asleep. We hope some things stood out. And there's a million different ways that we could take this. I think the biggest struggle was just that, like. This was like a broad attempt. The first attempt at a very broad subject. So we'll probably do more of these in like more specific, maybe more pointed questions or takes about career things. But um, like I thought about, you know, creative pursuits or that's pretty much the end of the list. I'm brain dead right now. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking for a while. I'm so hungry. Yes. You can find us on Instagram.com. Slash not for everyone. The number four is in there. Not for everyone. Nope. That's not even our Instagram. It's not for everyone pod. That's right. Not for everyone pod with a number four. Just is on what? Just is on at Jay-Z DeBakey. That's me. You can find me. You can see videos of me doing karaoke and the reason yes. that I am brain dead right now. Um, and Caroline's at The Good Sitter. So find us there. Thank you for messaging us. We freaking love them. We send each other screenshots. We save them for episodes whenever it's relevant. So just like keep the ideas coming and we'll talk to you very soon. Talk to you later. What is even a sign off? Fun and power? But it's also dog sex. (laughs) (laughs) When Jess was posting the Instagram promo for our last episode about horny dogs. She wrote about horny dogs and I laughed so hard. Now she's just signing off every text conversation, screaming horny dogs at me. And it's the only thing that feels right. If I ever have an office job again, that's the only way I can conclude a meeting. People are like, is the Zoom over? And I'll be like, not till I scream horny dogs. (laughs) Horny dogs, dog sex, fun and power. Good day. Bye guys. I think if I refresh my phone right now, I'm at 400,000 subscribers on YouTube. I'm going to refresh it in front of you. I think this is it. Okay. Are you ready? What does it say? Is that it? Is that it? Ah! (laughs) Oh, my God. That's giant. That's giant. giant. It's enormous. It's it's the biggest number that I've ever seen. Oh, I I feel so happy.